اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين اللهم لا سهل الا ما جعلته سهلا وانت تجل الحزن اذا شئت سهلا اللهم اعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته حياكم الله um, it's good to see everybody out, mashallah, lots of people, lots of sisters, lots of brothers. Um, alhamdulillah, it's good to be back as well. Did we, we were two, two lessons, yeah. So we were away for two lessons, for those who uh, didn't know. First of all, maybe if you could send someone down there to make those folks be quiet. Hamza, if you can tell these people just to leave the, uh, the, the masjid. But first of all, big salams to everybody online. To Basira, to Hasia, to Sabira, to Hajira, to Auntie Shakila, Mahjabin, uh, to the twins, Baji Suraya, Faraz, Anna, my uh, the Buzzer ones, uh, Bilal is there, Fahad, Hayakumullah, long time Fahad, uh, Alia from Australia, probably right now, that's, that's a crazy time, Zara from Leicester, Baji Farida as well, Saira is there too, Arij. And Frazana is taking their night off from the local, staying back at home. Widad, welcome, Imran, Labib, mashallah, good to see you. Abida from Scotland, Shams from London, Baisha from Philippines, mashallah. Got the, the whole gang online. Um, so, alhamdulillah. You know what I was thinking? Obviously, we've been away now a couple of weeks, um, and the, um, the first was in Aqsa, and uh, yeah, subhanAllah, yeah, we tried to do it live from the thing We made a decision to actually do it live, live, right? Which, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you In the compound itself, in the Aqsa complex itself The, the reception is not great, just generally And of course that's intentional All of the, the reception towers, cell towers are covered uh, Well, they are uh, controlled, I should say, not covered they're controlled by, obviously, the Israelis. And um, so, you know, and they obviously want to reduce, th th that's a big problem for them. Because, obviously, communication is very quick when, when they, uh, in actual fact, what you find out when you're in Aqsa is that they uh, do not rely upon the, the mobiles. So when it comes to uh, uh, mobilizing, especially when there's an attack on a gate, or um, pressure on a gate because you've got to understand that on every gate entrance to Masjid Al-Aqsa there's usually one uh, Palestinian who is uh, um, there as an employee of the Awqaf the Awqaf of course is run by Jordan as part of that uh, uh, Majig agreement uh, the Oslo agreement um, and then there's like a team of the uh, the kuffar outside. Obviously, not all kuffar. There are some others, yani, that are questionable about the iman, but part of the IDF anyway. And um, so they be outside, and uh, you know, as as always, people are pretty polarized in these things, and it does require some nuance. Uh, they're not completely 100% uh, just pure evil. The ones outside, they also have a remit, not just to give be a pain in the backside for the Muslims, but they also do stop 
a number of Zionists and uh, other kind of extremist folks from getting in, who do try everything and anything to get in, putting disguises on, pretending to be Muslims, and anybody who follows that whole kind of scene, you know, will know. But obviously, you know, to each their own, and, and um, you'll find that a lot of the time, part of a planned pr procession or a parade will be to uh, gather at one of the entrances and put a rush on, which they themselves will just conveniently disappear. Like, like so-called peacekeepers have conveniently been disappearing since donkey's years. Whether it's in World War II, whether it's in the Vietnam War, whether it's uh, what we know firsthand in Bosnia with the Dutch and what they did, what they allowed to happen in Srebrenica and you know, so many examples of this. But then frankly, we should not have been putting ourselves in that kind of position of trust of others anyway. But the point is, is it is what it is. And so anyway, back to the point, when they need that gate shored up and they need it to be protected, they will use the, uh, the Adhan system. So they'll take on the speaker and they will say Hayya al-Jihad, for example. All right, or Hayal al-Aqsa, meaning to the surrounding folks, just drop everything and get into the uh, compound to defend the gate or whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the reason I was making this point is about the reception. The reception is not something they can rely on. And you'll see that generally the Palestinians, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala support them and reward them and make them an ayah, make them an ayah. Um, they are incredibly innovative in the positive way and show lots of initiative in getting around things and finding kind of, you know, uh, plans and the like. Which, of course, is the absurd situation that Israeli authorities uh, uh, find themselves in. This is not something new for them, you know, this whole narrative. Obviously, there's a big kind of war about the hearts and minds and narratives. And I, I know that I spoke about this uh, briefly on Instagram. I, can't, I don't know what's happening with the rest of my social media. It just doesn't seem to work. But they've been doing that ban bakwas for a long time. But Instagram seems to work, or at least the live thing in which it works, this story thing. Um, but I mentioned this briefly in last week's lesson, I think, from Mecca as well. So I don't know whether you, you want me to be speaking about this and whether it's just you know becoming a drone. And that is a problem where it just becomes just incessant and uh, we have other uh, subjects to study and learn as well. But I did want to mention a couple of things. Um, that the, the narrative that's out there, of course, is a, it's not even fresh, it's not even interesting, it's a very tired one. They instigated it, Hamas instigated it, blah, 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 as if this is the first time it's happened. As if it's the first time there's even, forget about killings or extrajudicial killings or Forget about settler upon settler. Forget about all of those. Let's just put it aside. But straight out wars, I mean, like, it's not like this is the first time. And it's not like this started with Hamas, started, of course, way before Hamas. So this is clearly not a, uh, some kind of, you know. But the point is, is that the, the uh, um, what I found uh, different this time, what I found different this time is that, uh, and I probably, this is probably going to only increase when it happens next year and then the year after and then the year after as people are more and more sucked into social media is that I found people being more affected by it this time. 
Now, I'm not sure. Obviously, I'm an old goat. Yeah, and I've been burnt so many times over so many years. I've seen you know, people die in, in real life, let alone, you know, see, it, see this whole thing play out. So I, maybe that's me. I always, I always question myself, you know. I have a very, you know, I don't know what the word, desensitized, yeah, is the, is the word. Or at least I, th I like to tell myself I'm desensitized. Might have a little, you know, teary moment here and there, but I think that I'm desensitized because I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm bamboozled at how depressed people are. And people are saying, I'm so depressed. And just, you know, whatever. And I get it. Of course, everyone gets it when you see children and, and parents and the like. But um, this is par for the course. I don't think people recognize the course. I don't think people recognize what part of process this ummah is, is going through and will go through and the purification that's needed for us to prove that we're worthy of where we're meant to be going. And I think that's got to always be uh, something to remember. Every kind of material reason that you would get, material reason that you would get depressed by, we actually have a direct response to or direct explanation of so for example many of us dying right hundreds of thousands millions bro we've got billions of people bro don't worry there's plenty more where that came from you know what i mean and we're not hanging around if it's time to reproduce we'll reproduce as well we have a great record in that mashallah so they can keep taking it out we'll keep coming right so if that's the point that you're worried about numbers <laughs> then this, uh, these authorities have been doing this for the last how many years? 40, 50, 60 years, and trying to uh, uh, exterminate the, the opposition. And they're still the minority. <laughs> I, mean, that's, I, mean, I mean, if you're looking about uh, uh, just from a militarily kind of, you know, from a strategy point of view, what a complete fail. That you've had 30, 40, you know, X amount of years to go at, you know, your, your enemies. And you have carte blanche from the whole world to basically exterminate, and they do. And sometimes brazenly so, sometimes lie about what's happening, but sometimes they don't. And they're still the minority, and we're still the majority, and we're still there, and we're still struggling. And so, what, you know, just people being depressed on the numbers thing makes no sense. People are depressed about our dead, so not numbers now, but just the concept of death. Then all of our people are shuhada. If you don't understand or believe that, then there's, you've got much bigger problems, Yanni. You know, you've got much bigger problems if you don't think of Qur'an and Sunnah to you bring context to everything that, that happens. If you don't use the Qur'an and Sunnah and the evidences to tell you where children are when they pass away, right? I mean, that's got to be the first thing you go to. I get it, there's human levels of grief, whatever, but put that to the side, Right? Our, our dead are not just in Jannah. Our children are chilling with Ibrahim alayhi salam. It's a whole different level of Jannah. You know what I'm saying? It's the Jannah before the Jannah. Right? And our, and I say our, but these parents you see so often, you see the parents of these folks, they're the ones who seem to get it better than, than the rest of us. Yeah, there'll be some wailing and crying and grief. What do you expect? Yeah, it's, it's your child. But they get it. But they get it, and they understand it, and they're happy that someone has gone in that way. And you don't need to get it. You don't need to understand it. There doesn't need to be some kind of deep, kind of, you know, philosophical point. I also think that we take life too seriously, and this maybe is my darker self, right? And again, I add that caveat, just in case it is my darker self. But I do think that we take life way, way too seriously. 
Way, way, way too... Yeah, and this is what happens when you don't visit graves enough. This is what happens when you don't participate in janazas enough. This is what happens if you don't work in a hospital or in the medical field. where people dying all the time, bro. People dying all the time. People die such miserable lives, man. Or people don't die, even worse. And their, and their life is like they're dead. They might as well be dead in their life. Whether it's because of just how lame they are, whether because of the kufr that they're upon, whatever it is. And so, one danger of this narrative that I'm speaking about right now, or what I'm expressing right now, is that it leads to a sense of uh, that kind of extreme Sufi type uh, approach, which is that, you know, let, let the Qadr go, let the Qadr play out, it's all good, we're all shuhada, we, you know, we'll keep going. Everything I just said, basically, the difference between Ahl Sunnah and the extreme uh, uh, Sufis, maybe even not so extreme, is that they're kind of, uh, almost a kind of, what's the word? Um, ambivalence to action and activism is completely against this sunnah. Yani what I want to say is that as a parent, if I lose my child, or as a brother to my brother and sister who are losing their lives and their families, I can say to them and I can say to myself, Alhamdulillah, our, 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 our uh, deceased are in Jannah. And I can say to them that your people are, you are a hero and your people are a hero and you're, you're whatever, whatnot. And I can give that tasalli and that sukoon and that's fine. But what's unacceptable is to let it go. We can't let it go. Because this deen is all about stopping the zalim. Whether that's via your hand or via your tongue or by your heart, and that's the weakest of faith. All zulm, all evil has to be stopped. That's the big difference between Ahl Sunnah and those who kind of, you know, academically, philosophically, you know, wax lyrical about this and tell the people about Jannah and Sabr and this and that, whatever, whatnot. No, 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 no. No, no. We have to fight. We have to resist. Those who can fight must fight. Those who can resist must resist. Those who are not in those areas, they need to make sure that Biden dies in misery that he dies in misery, that Rishi Sunak dies in misery, that we send la'na upon him and we ask Allah to remove every source of guidance from him so that he burns forever. Kir Starmer, may he burn forever, forever. In this life, may Allah take away every root of success and guidance from him. There are many other things that we can do in other uh, arenas. Those people who are responsible for this, or letting it happen, or supporting it in the first time, and now backpedaling, trying to work out, you know, how to find an out, how to balance, you know, how to morally debate the proportionate response or some crap like that. Yeah, the, 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 the difference between us is that, and 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 uh, and those that are not upon the sunnah is that we must act and act according to what we can, not to what the crowd want. And I've spoken a lot about people who are, you know, under pressure to post things, you're under no pressure. Don't let any person tell you you've got to use social media or people are waiting for you to say something or why haven't you said something. Shut up. Who are you anyway to tell me what I can do, what I should do or whatever? Where's the book? Where's the rules? Where's the Quran and the Sunnah? Where did Allah say I've got to post on Instagram or I've got to make a video or I've got to change my flag or I've got to tell my this, that, whatever. You do what you can do. You do what you can do, but don't just do nothing. Just don't do nothing and sit there and say, this is the Qadr of Allah, 
and this is great for the believers, it's all going to work out. That's what's unacceptable. All right? And don't be depressed. That's the other thing you can't be doing. Why are we being depressed? I don't understand, Yanni. I don't understand. It's not something that we don't know. And I, I want to share with you a kind of, a, 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 I want to share with you part of the experience that we have in Aqsa. You know, subhanAllah, our Aqsa program, people, it's no surprise. I think it's the greatest program that we have. It's the great experience that I ever have every time I go. Out of all of the places I go to, wherever I am, nothing hits like Aqsa. And not always just because of the drama behind it and everything. It's just a, a special place. Um, but the Aqsa program that we have is also different because we allow it to be very organic and natural. So we leave all these sessions kind of empty. We kind of put placeholder things, activities, but actually it's just a placeholder. I'm just waiting for him to recite something in the, in the, in the Salah so that we can then just bring it you know, to the people. Right? Did, you hear what, what, did you hear what the Imam just said? It's amazing what he said. And the, the, the reason is, is that obviously in Aqsa, you're so on top. Things are so on top and intense that every ayah that is recited seems to be super relevant and intense, right? But look at what uh, Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar recited today. I mean, that's as random as it gets because he's just reciting through the Quran, right? And so today he's reciting uh, Surah Al-An'am. And listen to what he recited. If you understood what he said, he said, And we sent messages before you to many communities and afflicted their people with suffering and hardship so that they could learn humility. So they could learn humility. So that's happening to us right now, by the way. So just be careful if you don't become humbled by this. All right? Remember who controls everything and that we turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're just taking the example of the people who came. It's not talking about us here. It's talking about historically. But I'm saying that this should be us applying ourselves to this. But listen to the rest. And if only they had learned humility when suffering came from us. Only they had humbled themselves. But no, their hearts became hard and shaitan, he made beautiful and acceptable and moral and the higher ground what they used to do. Just yani, deceived them into thinking that whatever they're doing, this is the right way, this is the good way, we are the, the better people. Listen to this. So, when they had forgotten the warning they had received, because Allah warns them and advises them and warns them and rather. What would the next statement you think be? So after we had warned them, warned them, warned them, what should it say next? We that we destroyed, right? We destroyed them. Yes. What do you think it says? We opened for them, huh? We opened for them everything. Yani we gave them. Everything, the dunya, power, 
success, wealth, kids, everything. Shofi, yani, what you were thinking, or what anyone would think, is the, the concluding statement after, yani, we warned, we warned, we warned, all right, now you're dead. No, something worse than that. Wallahi, something worse than that. It's worse because Allah has said it, that's why. But even if you think logically, clearly this is worse. We opened the gates to everything for them. And then, and then, as they reveled in what they were given, we struck them suddenly. We struck them suddenly, and they were just bamboozled. They were dumbfounded. They were basically gone, lost. No idea. Strikes them just like that. You can interpret that however you want. But you know, you know these ayat, by the way, they are not. Uh, the, you don't need to specify them to a specific incident, and that's it. The Quran, one of its principles is that it applies all the time to all eras, and only if there's a verse which clearly restricts its meaning to one particular episode and people, then it's not permissible to, you know, to widen it. But when the verse is aam and left in general, and it can be interpreted in, in, in a multiple number of ways. I was speaking to, alhamdulillah, you know, the master of, of this science is Shaykh Ihlan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala. I was fortunate enough to be with him in Mecca. We were discussing a number of verses in detail. We had a couple of hours, we sat down and basically we just, just went through so many things. Um, Basic on principles, whatever. And I wanted to really challenge him on some of his own interpretations, which differ to my own interpretation, which differ to the majority as well, actually. You can say almost there are three schools. Not saying that I have a school and he has a school. But in this example, there are three schools. In this example, there's a school of the vast majority about how Surah Al-Isra is understood. And then the second school will be how he understood these verses in Surah Al-Isra. And then the third is how I understood it. And all three distinctly different. Which is in itself an interesting thing. But the beneficial point that I want to give to you is the fact that this is okay. The fact that this is okay because every people and generation will be limited to what they observe. How can you, for example, understand this, the, the, the two times corruption and destruction of Bani Israel to mean anything other than what you see in your lifetime if you're a companion. And of course you're going to be, inter obviously I'm jumping here now, but this will be lost on some people. But you're obviously going to interpret that as the Babylonians and you're going to interpret that as Herod, as part of the, the Romans, of course. And then how else would someone like me, who comes now, and interpret the second coming as anything other than Israel, the state of Israel right now? What did Herod do? Yani, you know, and again, like I said, these interpretations can go. The, the point I'm trying to make is that there are verses that are, can be applied. So when you think about how, as they, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy actually. The word reveled has been, been played over the last couple of weeks about some people who've been reveling in something, right? So, I mean, that wasn't intentional. But then as they reveled in what they had been given, we struck them suddenly, they were dumbfounded. You could apply that to a single incident. You could apply that to what's happening in the future. You could apply that to yani, the moment that they are taken as kuffar. Yeah? kafirun, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Tawbah, that we, وَتَزْهَقَ أَنفُسُهُمْ وَهُمْ كَافِرُونَ 
because this verse has many other similar uh, examples where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that yani, don't be amazed by their wealth and by their thing indeed Allah only wants to punish them by this by this whole giving 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 power power power, power winning 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 isn't it Trump goes winning 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 we're just winning this is exactly what Allah said we want to make them believe winning 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 only to punish them thereby and we snatch their souls before they've even had a chance to realize to say Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah. <laughs> no, we're going to snatch it out so you don't even have the time to finish a sentence, bro. Right? Whilst they're still kuffar. Imagine a person wanting to believe in the last moments, having come to realization, but Allah doesn't give you a chance to. And pulls your soul out. And the way that he uses the word is he snatches the soul out so that you don't even have a chance. What a punishment, subhanAllah. This, like I said, this narrative is all through the Quran and the Sunnah. And here as well. Like, boom, struck them like this. So, whether it's happened, going to happen multiple times, or it's still to happen, it's going to happen. And if you had any doubts, look at all of their attempts to try and solve this and fix this and, you know, whatever, over the last how many, however many years. Each one a miserable failure for them. And they think they're getting bigger and they're thinking they're getting stronger. And then everybody knows the end. Right? Everybody's heard this ayah in the Quran. This is Surah Al An'am. Because everyone knows this is the only other time that we hear Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Right? And so the evildoers were wiped out. And all praise be to Allah, Lord of the world. So I don't understand the depression. I'm not going to lie, man. I don't know whether it's just me or whatever. Um, you know. So, so yeah. That was just, as I said, that's just random. That's just, you know, uh, 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 ayat which are just being uh, read in, the, in Salah and so on. And, and, and listen, 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 listen. We don't know, actually, the, the wisdom of Allah's plan. We don't know. People get very sensitive to these kind of things when you discuss this issue. But maybe we're being given a warning here. Maybe we are being given a punishment here. Maybe we're give, being given a wake-up call here. Look how many people who are not practicing whatsoever are now so sensitive to the whole issue. People have remembered Allah again. People have yani, seen death again. They got so comfortable, right? Look how many people are posting ayat of Quran. They've never yet posted an ayat before in their life. Realize that the Quran speaks about things like that. Look how many people are now focusing on their prayer and trying to understand that it's more. But, but. The shame is that people are going to die for that. That's the shame. If that narrative is even correct. We don't know. Maybe it might be. I don't need to stake my house on it. All of these narratives are in play. All of these wisdoms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qadr is in play. So many levels, so many, so many layers. So the ultimate message is, is as I mentioned on the, uh, that Instagram, and this is what they've been doing every single time. Subhanallah, I mean, <laughs> about to say, about, about to say, it's almost as if this ayah was specifically for them. Actually, the ayah is specifically about the Yehud. Yeah. So 
It's just telling us what we already know. Every single time they kindled the, yani the band, the war drum, and they kindled the, the fire of war, Allah extinguishes it. Each time. All of the, every single attempt, every single goal they have a go at, Allah. وَيَسْعَوْنَ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَسَادًا وَاللَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُفْسِدِينَ And they strive to spread their, their lies and their deceit in the land. Have a look at what's going on. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah that, was a, that was intended, by the way. That's not a normal hospital. That was actually a thing you hide out. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know what it is? Uh, no, there was, there was, that was not a, a representative of our people. Uh, there was absolutely nothing from us. That was their own uh, job, blah 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 And that Kelb of Ibn Kelb by then today goes, yeah, uh, it seems like the other team. Like it's a flipping game. Wallah, it's a game, isn't it? His mum and his game, let's see. Huh? His mum. Huh? The other team. Like it's bloody United and City, bro. You know what I'm saying? Taking it, we'll see, don't worry. Don't worry. Right. Why did you get me started this book once, bro? That's the problem. I never listened to that. You know, I want to say that Danish is going to be listening. I said to Danish something. I said, there are many people that say many things to me. I ignore all of them. But whenever I ignore Shazad, I always regret it. The guy is always right on everything. He just said, just, just shut up and carry on. Just do the dars. We would have saved like 20 minutes. 28 minutes. Not bad from like as if I'm not banned. You know. By the way, I'm on a record at the moment. How much banned countries I'm banned from? I think 42 countries. <laughs> oh my God, sick guy! Allah It's all a wing and a prayer. Whenever we go anywhere, you know, it's all good, man. 42, and it might even be more than 42. But I think at the last count, it was 42. There's, bro, I've got people, man. Bro, I'm. <laughs> So, I was in I was in the thingy. There's a really beautiful uh, perfume house in uh, Mecca. Uh, it's called Reef. Very nice. And I've been telling him, "Bro, you got it all wrong." And he goes, "Trust me, it's number thirty. Trust me, thirty is number thirty." I said, "Shut up, man. Thirty-three is a good one. Fifteen is a good one. Nineteen is a good one. Twenty-one is a good one." He goes, "No, it's thirty. It's thirty. I've been ignoring him totally." I went, obviously, I went smell thirty. I thought, "Bloody hell, he's right in it." Wasted all flipping hundreds of quid buying the other bakwasi, and it's the it's number thirty, which is the. Whenever you go against Shazad, you're going to regret it. So I'm sorry, Shazira. You know, you know, we love you, Yara. Right? Okay. Um, where are we now? Uh, I've got the text open. So we did a lot last week. Actually, I realized that we were super efficient. I think Mesa was very happy. With Dad, we'd been very happy. You know, her and her records being broken. I did pure pages. Right. Today, let's see. Well, obviously. You know, lesson's pretty much over now. It's half half an hour gone. For in thingy, okay. So we are on the third line of the Arabic. For in qad, we're in the, uh, the of the commentary. We're on page three hundred and thirty-four. For in وَإِنْ قَدْرَ عَلَىٰ قِيَامٍ وَقُعُودٍ دُونَ رُقُوعٍ وَسُجُودٍ أَوْ مَأَ بِرُقُوعٍ قَائِمًا وَسُجُودٍ قَائِدًا وَلِمَرِيدٍ الصَّلَاةُ مُسْتَلْقِيًا مَعَ الْقُدْرَةِ عَلَىٰ الْقِيَامِ 
لمداوات بقول طبيب مسلم. I was hoping to get to this because it would have been really also applicable for today's lesson as well, for what we just mentioned, but I don't think we'll get there. Right. Uh, the translation of what we just said uh, is, yeah, during his prayer, if he becomes able or unable to perform it, the prayer, that certain way, the way that he's praying, he moves to the next appropriate method. If he's able to stand and sit, but not bow or prostrate, he will point for the bowing while standing, and he will not point. Man, what is that? Why is point? I, I, I'm sure I changed that to gesture. I might have made that mistake. Uh, Mesa or Shaz, remind uh, Widad, whoever. Let's uh, correct that. If he is able to stand and sit, but not bow or prostrate, he will gesture for the bowing while standing, and he will gesture for the prostration while sitting. It is permissible for someone who is ill to pray lying down, even though they are able to stand, for the sake of recovery, at the order of a Muslim doctor. That's what we're going to be covering probably only half today. All right, so we start then on page 334, that if he is, during his prayer, if he becomes for in qadara, Okay, qadira or ajaza, if he is able to or unable to, in, is in the middle of his prayer to move to the next position, then he must do that. He must do that. So, for example, if a person is, uh, Sheikh gives the example, he goes, if there's a person who can't stand up and he starts a salah, and then halfway through, he feels good about himself, the energy is there, he's got to stand up. That's it. All right? Because he took the concession. When he started, realized things are good, he's got to now move the opposite direction. Now, what happens if he feels sick in sitting down? He can move the other direction, right? So if he needs to lie down, then he should as follow the sunnah. Humbly said, you can lie down and go on the side. We said the hadith is clear, go on to your side. All right, so you go on to your right-hand side, lying down and support yourself or just put your head on the floor, no problem. And if you can't do that and you need to lie flat, then you lie flat. That's the point. When you are in the middle of your prayer, if you're good, you go up. If you're bad, you go down. That's basically the point. This is based upon Fattakullaha Mastara'atum. As Allah said, fear Allah as much as you can. And the Prophet said, Salli qa'ima fa in lam Pray standing, and if you're unable to, then pray sitting down. And he goes the exact opposite as well. If a person is praying and standing, and he's looked great and everything, then he feels tired, and then, you know, he sits down, we'll say, no problem. This is also supported by Fattakullaha Masata'atuhum. Fear Allah as much as you can. All right? He goes, there's two scenarios, though, that we want to look at. Mas'alatan. The first mas'ala is, what about a person who was uh, uh, sitting down, because he's feeling weak and he starts reciting Surah Fatiha and he gets to, you know, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, whatever and then he realizes, you know what, I'm good here. I'm good here. And so he starts to get up. But he starts to recite whilst he's getting up. So he's doing Maliki Yawmiddini Ya Kana'abudu and then he stands up and he finishes off the whole rest of the Surah now whilst he's standing. Is that clear? So... That's that, okay? 
The second scenario is a person who can't stand and he completes it whilst going down. Is that going to be sufficient? So the Sheikh gives an example. There's a person who's praying standing. And he gets to Can't stand up any longer He starts to go down And as he starts to go down He says And he starts yani, completing it And then he's sitting and he finishes it So is it clear, yeah? The two scenarios So he starts yani, uh, sitting And then he finishes off Whilst he's getting up And then he finishes it while standing And then the second scenario is A person starts standing then he carries on reciting as he's going down, and then he finishes it off as he sits down. Is that clear? Uh, anyone want to hazard a guess? Whether these two scenarios are the same, what's the situation, what the scholars say, it's not easy actually, right? So, Sheikh says that the fuqaha, meaning like the Hanbalis and others and so on, they said that the first scenario is unacceptable and the second one will do. The first one, the prayer is invalid, what he did. And the second one, we get. The second one is okay. What's the difference? He said, When this guy was able to stand up, because he started sitting down, then he realized that he could stand up. Right? The Fatiha is obligate, obligatory to be recited while standing. So, he recited that part whilst he's in a position which is not actually standing. The nuhud is the getting up part. So, he was reciting in a part and he has no basis for that. When he was unable to, it was okay to pray sitting down. Understood? Yeah? You're allowed that. When he was able to, then he's got to wait and recite when he's standing. What's the basis for reciting in a in-between position? What is that? What is that even? Do you get the point now? Do you get the legal kind of argument? They're saying that you were unable to, you had legal excuse, you can pray while sitting down. You were able to, okay, then now you've got to pray while standing up. What's this in-between position? That's their argument. He goes, thaniya, The second scenario is different. Because to go down is still better than actually sitting down. So what does that mean? What's obligatory is to stand. Once that obligation has been taken away, this is actually quite clever if you think about it, the concession position is that you can finish it off while sitting down. But if you're reciting it on the way down, that's even better than sitting down. Does that make sense? Yeah? Because you started where it should be, but then you were given a concession to pray while sitting down, well, if you're reciting it on the way down, actually going on the way down legally is better than, yeah, and you're just sitting down. And so it's something which is acceptable. This is what the fuqaha argued. Sheikh says, however, we're going to say, Allah says, Allah said, fear Allah as much as you can. And that covers the first scenario. Because the person, he was able to, you know, do that. And the person who 
He goes that actually we can look at it differently and say that if a person is meant to try his very best, then even when he was getting up, that was him trying his best. It wasn't like, you know, uh, he was like all the time he could have got up at any time. No, it was in between where he realized and he's got to give it a shot. He's got to give it a go to see if he can, you know, if he can get up. And he gave it a go. He gave it his best shot. And therefore, you know, uh, 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 and he says, he, he recited the Fatiha in a situation which was the maximum of his ability and therefore it suffices him. And, and Sheikh says, this is what I feel is more closer to the truth. Because the person has, has, has already started in that which was obligated upon him, which is to sit down. This is something which is by the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then when he stood up, he was carrying on and that was his ability. However, Sheikh ends this, this, this paragraph and the beginning at the top of 336, he says, however, there's no doubt to be on a safe side. That if you find yourself in that position, and this is the benefit here, just stay silent until you stand up. Okay, stay silent until you stand up. Okay? So don't do it in the in-between parts. Got it? Yeah, correct. This discussion is only happening because of the obligatory rukan nature of the Fatiha, correct. It wouldn't apply to a surah or anything which is not required anyway. Good. Um, right, then the next statement. وَإِن قَدِرَ عَلَىٰ قِيَامٍ وَقُعُودٍ دُونَ رُقُوعٍ وَالسُّجُودٍ أَوْ مَعَ بِرُقُوعٍ قَائِمًا وَبِسُجُودٍ قَائِدًا He... Uh, if he is able to stand and sit, but not bow or prostrate, he will gesture for the bowing while standing and he will gesture for the prostration while sitting. This is easy to understand. Basically, this person is standing, but you know, he's got glaucoma, he's had the cataract operation, he can't go into ruku'ah. Because that just basically blows everything up, right? And so, the irony is that he can stand, but he can't go into ruku'ah. The irony is that he can sit down, but he can't go into sujood. And so therefore, what he does is that in this position, he just gestures, so a slight yani, indication forward with his body, and that's the ruku'a. Then he goes, Allahu liman hamidah, rabbana wa lakal hamd, Allahu akbar. He sits right down, just leans forward, subhana rabbil a'la, and then he sits back up, which is where, where he wants to be. Allahu akbar, Allahu akbar. Tiny movements because of the uh, uh, inability for him to prostrate and the inability to go for uh, ruku'a. And this is because, of, and the evidence is like it has been throughout this chapter. Fattakullaha mastata'atum sutta'abun, verse 16. Fear Allah as much as you can. Sheikh then extends this. He goes, this is the same actually for someone who can't sit as well. Okay. Um, well, actually, uh, just what I said, sorry. Uh, uh, I beg your pardon. Someone who can sit but can't do sujood, do the same thing as well. And then he says something interesting. And the reason I found this interesting is because previously I had always seen Sheikh Uthameen speak about this in the form of an emergency and deep fear. But this is the first time that I've come across him speaking very normatively about praying and sitting down in a plane. Which is actually quite rare to find from our scholars. People don't like it. People don't like it. Right? And rightly so. 
And Shaykh actually says something, so I'm going to translate this literally so people know what he's, he's actually dealing with this in a very matter-of-fact way. He goes, he goes, and this is something, and this is at the bottom of 336. He goes, this is actually something which people need in a plane, which uh, uh, doesn't have a dedicated uh, prayer space. And there's a long time in that plane, and the prayer time, the prayer is going to come up one way or the other. So he should pray in his place, standing, without leaning on anything, without holding on to anything, as long as the plane is straight and stable. And there is no shaking. And if there is, then he can hold on to the chair in front of him, the back of the seat basically, to give him that. A stability and in this scenario because he's saying pray in the thingy this is me speaking um, he goes that you would gesture for the ruqwa there are a lot of people who don't do the praying standing thing because they think that they've got to uh, do the full ruqwa right he gestures for the ruqwa the gesturing for the ruqwa here right is the same as the gesturing for the sajda. We said last week or the week before, whatever, that it's not done in the finger like some people do. And that's why I said the point. I don't know where the point came from, but it's gesture. And the gesturing should be in a way where the body itself is something which is um, uh, where the body is lower to the floor, right? And so. The way that Sheikh Uthameen is, is suggesting is that if a person standing in his seat and you know, you see now that now like for example the new uh, 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 Dreamliner, uh, the 350, you can stand fully up. Yeah, because obviously newer planes now, they don't need that thing. But in the others, you might need a little bit of a behavior, but that's okay. And your ruku'a will be just a little bit of a bend forward so that you don't need to go, you know, close to the guy's seat, whatever. Or, like you saw in my demonstration in the Fiqh Salah video, a person might sit down and indicate a ruku'a. Meaning all of this is, yani, has no specific evidence in the how. So therefore, the key is to lower your body more than you're standing. And the key is that when you end up doing your sajda, you lower your body more than you're sitting. That's the key. And, you know, I said, you know, I said the, the hands can go out. The hands can stay here. The hands don't matter. The point is that you show... Because first of all, there's no evidence. We don't have a hadith from the Prophet or from the companions where we have some prohibitions. We know that you can't create a fake surface, can't put a pillow there or put a shelf there and do that. You don't need a surface. Surface is out. You just create a lower, a lowering position. And with the hands, you use that. This could be ruku' and this could be sajda. Or this could be, or you could say, I'm going to use my knees for the ruku' and I'm going to put my hands out for a sajda. Without saying that this is definitely a sajda or not, because blatantly I don't care what you're doing, but this is not a sajda, is it? And neither is this. So it's all about just gesturing a bit more of a uh, movement. Then he says, he goes, وَالظَّاهِرْ He goes, and what seems to be obvious most of the time is that a person can't make sujood according to the planes that we see. This is obviously a while ago, 30 odd years ago. So we'll say, sit down upon your chair. Okay, and then indicate for the sajda. And this is all based upon fear Allah as much as you can 
And whoever is not able to do ruku, then let him do it qa'ima. And whoever is not able to make do sujood, then let him gesture for it. So this is actually very interesting. And it gives us that, that tasalli that it's okay to pray in a plane like this. However, I'll say the following. Number one, notice that he insists that a person stand. And that's what people are not doing. But then in the other answer that he gave to the question, that's where he's given the concession. He said that if a person is so afraid to stand because they're bringing attention and you know, they're just feeling so nervous and it completely you know, does their head in, the only thing they're thinking is, they're, they're watching me, they're watching me, they're looking at me, they're looking at me, looking at me. Then this person's not able to concentrate at all. The anxiety has completely overtaken them. They can pray sitting down. But minus that anxiousness or whatever, you pray standing. You pray standing. That, that's the, the, the way you've got to stand. That's the first thing to take. The second thing to take is that I still believe that this is a concession, a concession status. And when you are about to utilize a concessionary status or a concessionary point, then that which is not concessionary should be given priority to. So combining the prayer whilst on the ground, combining the two prayers that are on your destination, as long as that's possible. Of course, that's not possible for Salatul Fajr in most of our journeys. This is really a Fajr thing, isn't it? Yeah? Normally, people will be able to have Dhuhr Asr and Maghrib Isha on lock unless you're on some kind of crazy one. Then that's okay. Then you combine, that's fine. But generally, you will just try to get the right time flight and you'll just make sure that you combine the prayers whilst on the ground, whatever, so that you don't have to get into that whole issue of taking a concession. But I just want to add, this does not mean because I'm worried about praying on a plane... Because actually we should be, يعني, you know, subhanAllah, it's one of the things that we learn from my elders is that when they're in these transport scenarios, they take full advantage. When they've been giving lifts, when they're on buses, and when they're on uh, planes, they pray. Like that's the sunnah to, to pray. The sunnah is to pray sitting down in the direction of the right. Right? You spend time praying your nafal prayer and, you know, knocking it out. And for us, I don't want you to make, misunderstand me and say that, you know, this whole idea of combining before, combining after, because I don't want to see people praying. No, no, no. I'm saying that your obligatory prayer is far more important and the sunnah prayer is allowed to pray sitting down, all of the whole thing, all the way. And so it's given a concessionary status anyway. I'm not saying you shouldn't be praying. I'm saying that people might not want to stand. And then, therefore, if you have fear of standing, you know, is that fear justified or not? You might say it might be justified if you're, you know, on a pe- plane full of Israelis going to Tel Aviv. Yeah, I get that point. But when you're a Paki on the, fl- on the you know, going to Karachi on flipping Emirates, what the fish, bro? Bro, you see madnesses on that one. Bro, they're making a down on the plane. <laughs> Gusson, bro. You know, Guji's a hardcore, by the way. I was in a bunch of you know, planes where, honestly, those Arabs, Pakis, this, that, you know, Arabs, Pakis are a bit weak. Some couple of good just stood up. Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. I was like, Ras! I just served a cup of jama'ah here, bro. And I know that I've told you the story about when I went to Mauritania and I was on a plane. I have no, I'm not going to say that again because that's, that's a mad one. But they did a jama'ah, a full jama'ah, and they told the kufs get out of the way. I'm summarizing the whole thing because I, I don't want to bore the people who've heard the story a hundred times because my favorite story ever. But literally, literally, they come looking for a space and they saw the ones at the front, you know, the bazinet seats. And they saw a lot of space there, whatever, whatnot. And they said, lift your legs. They d- d- didn't mean, like, get up in your seats, but they said, get your legs out of the way. 
they were all chariot workers, guaranteed, yeah? So they were all, they were all liberal types anyway. But the point is, is that they all, you know, put their, I remember, I remember seeing them all put their feet like I'm sitting like this. And they prayed along the thingamajig. Yeah, bro, sit guys. Anyway. Um, SubhanAllah. Sheikh says, what about a scenario where he can make sujood? We don't want to get into Mesa's bad books here, right? Sorry, I don't want to upset Shazad. Let's be honest. Shazad's the guy who wants our more than anything else. Yeah, he's like crying that it's gone after Isha now. Right. The you know, this makes me laugh because this happened to me, bro. Person can make sujood but can't touch the floor. Alright? Two times this has happened to me, two times I've taken the concession. So he goes, what happens? He just can't touch the ground. Uh, he can touch it with the, with the, with the, with the thingamajigs, the hands, but he can't put his forehead to the floor. <laughs> Bro, I'm telling you now. So Sheikh says that, you know, fear Allah as much as you can. So he goes, he puts the, what he should do, Allah yarham al-Sheikh, Wallah jazallah khair, that he'd given this fatwa for us clearly. Although I gave the fatwa to myself yani, 20 years ago, I'm just going to just put it out there. He goes, he puts his hands on the floor, he gets his face as close as he possibly can to the floor. And this is what Allah said. And he goes, as for the people from the scholars who said that if he can't put the, the, the forehead on the floor, then he doesn't do the sajda at all. Because you either do the sajda or don't do the sajda. So you might as well then basically what he's saying is that just do this behavior then. If you're not going to make such the properly. Which is, makes sense. He goes, this is a weak statement. He goes, because if, you, if you're using the same ayah that we're using, which is fear Allah as much as you can, as much as you can, I mean, I can get as close as I can. I mean, it might not be the full sajda, but it's a pseudo like 95% sajda. Right? So, he goes, that definitely, definitely this ayah is, is, is thinking. So the two, two times that I used it, first time, was in a place called Mount Tremblant, which is in Montreal, where this is the same night that I broke my, like I, I tore every ligament in my knee. Because I was a hero, appeared in Canada scene, being a big man and that, whatever, whatnot. I went to teach a class for Salah. Fiqh Salah, Qasim. There was two weekend class, it was double weekend class back in those days. 2009, I want to say, eight, nine, something like that, 10 maybe. And and obviously, you know, uh, uh, after talk the first weekend, there for five whole days. What the hell am I going to do five whole days? It was like minus 35 or something. Yeah. And they've got all these kind of snows, uh, mountains and skiing and this. And that. I said, yeah, I'll give that a shot. You know the, the, you know the, the saying, Bambi on ice? Yeah. It should be AE anywhere near snow. So I put on these uh, mahusive boots, ski boots or whatever. First time, everything. Yeah. And before I come onto the ski slope, it's time for salah. So what I check, I look, you know, I've been set up everything, whatever, whatnot. I noticed that I've got the world's biggest kickoff gloves, biggest kickoff, yani everything, bloody blah, blah. This is fantastic. I go, guys, we've got to pray salah first. So I led the salah. Uh, Muhammad Sharif, Allahyarhamu, he was behind me. And who else? A couple, couple of those guys, yani whatever. I think Khalid as well, maybe. Leading the salah. Happy as Larry. Losing myself, not even concentrating. Going to Rukur, come out from whatever, whatnot. 
went down. Obviously, you go down nice and slow, yeah? But you know when you have these boots, you, you can't bend your knees. Like, they come up to you, like, flipping knee. So what happens is that when you go down, halfway down, you realize that your knee can't bend, yeah? So you kind of, like, collapse down because, you know, you're going down, like, normal knee thing because that's what I prefer. That's my position. I don't believe in hands first. I believe knees first and whatever. So then you realize sugar, and then you just kind of collapse. I said, that's all right. So now I can collapsed into the thingy, put my hands down, massive gloves, fantastic, went into sajda, and my face got stuck to the ground, bro. <laughs> and the pain that hit my head, if I can remember even one single thing about whether I said subhanahu rabbi, <laughs> if I can remember, but I wasn't thinking, was I? Yeah, I thought I had, I had a, uh, uh, some hat on or something. But this part just froze. It stuck and it froze and the pain, it hit me here, it hit me there. And I just immediately got up. Like, like, like a shock. Yeah? And then I, I remember... <laughs> I remember that I didn't say Allah Akbar immediately so that, that they'd think that I haven't blagged it. So I sat back up and I go, Allahu Akbar. <laughs> and then I went down for the second one and I went, Allahu Akbar. And I was hovering above it. And I could see, I remember it. Like I'm looking at it right now. I could see the ice and the snow. I said, Wallah, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> and I was looking at it like this, subhanAllah, like this, like that. Yeah? That's the first time. The second time happened about, I want to say, four or five years ago, exactly as Shah says. Yani, uh, we, our, our, uh, our programs always normally go on Thursday to arrive for Friday morning so that you can maximize the weekends in so that you don't have to take many days off, right? So we put it like that. And that one trip, instead of the flight coming as what is normal, which is normally 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, try to make Fajr, maybe not, maybe whatever, but try to get some rest for Jummah. This flight arrived at 11 o'clock in the morning. We were like, uh, there's no way we're making Jummah. SubhanAllah, this is, I think, the first year that they had changed the whole Medinan system, put the girls in. Those girls are amazing, man. They don't fluff around. You know when it was men sitting there playing flipping cards on their phone, Bakwasi and useless, yeah? But these girls now, tuck, 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 you've seen their big nails, tuck, 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 we flipping, all everyone poked up, you know, no one waiting for no porters, nothing, everyone grabbed their bags, everyone all full of jazbah, threw their bags onto the coach, jumped on, we go to the, to the driver, yalla, yani, smash it down. The guy arrives, and the adhan goes for Jummah. I said, listen, trust me, these boys, I think it's Salam boys, these boys got it on lock, they'll take care of all these bags, don't you worry one little bit, let's go straight, whoever's got the thingy, whoever hasn't, just find water anywhere. And we went straight into Jummah. Obviously a bunch of heroes. We were outside, and it was summertime, and we were in the sun, and then the, what was, what was happening, I remember that he, you know, he made uh, uh, takbir for salah, and I remember that we all stood, stood together, and then we, all of us took our chappals off for all of one second, then quickly put our chappals back on again. <laughs> And I said, it's okay, it's okay, you can put your chapels back on again. But obviously, you know, you're thinking about your feet. You know, you get burnt somewhere, you forget everything else. Bro, we went down into the situation of the, on the floor. 
Allah Nakasim, bro, burned, full burn. Like it was so hot. It wasn't the white marble that, you know, it was the other external marble, whatever, which is unforgiving. And hands were okay because we had them in thingy majigs. But then, obviously, we're in Salah, so I couldn't tell the rest of the gang. So they were all doing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I was straight off the floor like this, bro. I was like, there ain't no way I'm touching this floor. Anyway, I, I've lived this, the fiqh. Allah that he gives us this fatwa. That's very good. Then he says, about a person who can't make sajda ever, because he has a permanent problem. So this is a person who's got a temporary problem. Yeah? He goes, what about a person who can't do it at all? Right? Because he's got a problem in his back or whatever. Then this person doesn't do this. And this is excellent. Yeah? So a person with a permanent problem doesn't do this whole kind of, you know, he has had sajda taken away from him. He's the one who would basically indicate. He'd sit down and he would, sit, he would do this. But it's the one who is on a temporary issue. He doesn't have an ability problem here. There's something which is just stopping him because of some problem or some pain even, but it's a temporary thing, then he gets as close as possible. But the one who has a permanent disability, he doesn't need to go for the close possible type of sajda um, at all. Okay? Then, okay, let's just finish this point actually. Then he goes, another scenario I put to you. A, an ill person a disabled person, or a person with a disability, I should say, if he goes to the masjid, he can't pray standing. Because the effort that it will take for him to go to the masjid, whether walking X, Y, Z, will take it all out of him, then when he gets there, he has to pray sitting down. Versus staying at home, and also, by the way, the imam's going to knock out long ones, and that's going to mess up my back even more. I'm going to end up praying sitting down. Versus praying at home, I will definitely pray standing. Absolutely no doubt. I'm in control. No tiredness. That's the score, right? That's the deal, folks. Which one do you want to go for? Is he obligated to go to the masjid? Or does he have to stay at home? Not Jum'ah. This is your normal obligatory prayers. Stay at home because... What's the burden? So let me just clarify, by the way, that I, I, I shouldn't have said disability. He doesn't have a disability, but he's old and weak. He doesn't have disability. It's an energy thing. Okay? It's an energy thing. He's saying that when I get there, I'm so knackered, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down. So better at home because he's already got an excuse and he's already, uh, uh, and the khushu will be better, all right? Standing is a pillar of the prayer. Standing is a pillar of the prayer. Congregation prayers, according to our school, is an obligation. Congregational prayer, attending it in the masjid for a male is an obligation, according to, yeah, our position. But not across the board. But not across the board. Not across the board. There's a difference of opinion. Where on standing, there's not a single ikhtilaf that is a pillar. So you pray at home. It's a good argument, right? All right, good. Let's have a look. Sheikh says, 
that there are, and after summarizing that point, yeah, he goes, there are three positions of the scholars, all right? And this is our final point for the class, all right? He goes, the first group of scholars, they said that both are equal, both are uh, obligated, uh, uh, obligated, and therefore we can't really, you, you have the option to do whatever you want. One's got an obli- you've got basically two contradicting, uh, I don't know if the right word is contradicting, but you've got two opposing obligations, and therefore you're allowed to go with whatever you, uh, uh, one of them is not preponderant over the other. That's the first position. The second position is that no, Qiyam is the pri- priority, and therefore you've got to then pray at home Qa'ima, because it is without any difference of opinion, a rukan. And this Prophet said, Salli qa'ima. And the Prophet said, Stand and pray. And the obligatory prayer, sorry, the congregational prayer as an obligation is far lesser than this obligation to stand for the following three reasons. The first, there's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars who said it's obligatory. Second, if it is even obligatory, if we go with it, is it obligatory obligation kifaya, fard kifaya, or fard ain? Meaning, is it an obligation upon every individual to do? Or is that obligation fulfilled if at least some people attend the masjid? Third reason, if it is an individual obligation upon every individual person, is it an obligation in the prayer or an obligation for the prayer? Fundamental point, if it's an obligation in the prayer, the nap is very, very serious. It means if you don't pray in the masjid, you don't have a prayer if you pray at home. If it's an obligation for the prayer, then your prayer at home is permissible, but you sin. So every time you pray at home, you are being, you're in sin because you're not praying it properly. But the prayer is valid. So they're actually two different, you know, two very different realities. So Sheikh says that, so it's very clear that, you know, that they're not the same. So that's why the second opinion is to, what you heard here, these two boys here said that, put the prayer at home first. The third opinion is that you've got to attend the masjid. And if he can stand, he stands. And if he can't, he sits down. Because he is obligated to respond to the call, the adhan. And, and a person who, are ta- who uh, 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 responds to the call comes to the masjid, he prays standing, and if he can't, then that's okay. And also, he goes, maybe this person will think that he goes to the masjid and he won't be, he'll be, won't be able to stand. But then, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him that taqat and that power and nashat. And he can stand. What I lean to, Sheikh continues, but not a proper leaning, he goes. Not a massive leaning, but he goes, what I lean to, but not like, you know, I'm all in, but what I'm kind of leaning towards is that it's obligatory to attend the masjid, which we know he's a big fan of anyway. And he goes, and this is a, a banging, banging evidence. He goes, and if you reflect upon the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, which is narrated in Sahih Muslim, the 
Prophet and this hadith Abdullah, we covered it, I think, a couple of months ago or something. Can't remember when. Talking about various characteristics of the believers, and then the, then Abdullah, this is in Sahih Muslim, obviously or highly authentic. He said that at the time of the Prophet, alayhi wassalam, we would consider a person who doesn't come to the masjid as a munafiq. To the extent that an ill person would be brought in and he would stand and uh, uh, he would be brought in on the shoulders of two people. Meaning, like, you know, he's one guy, other guy, dragged in. Right? And we know that's what happened to the Prophet. Okay? And the hadith actually mentions that his two feet were dragged. You know? Dragging, sorry. So, uh, and Shaykh Uthameen says if you look at this hadith, hadith, uh, uh, Sahih Muslim 654, he goes, uh, He's brought in on the shoulders of two people until he's placed into the soft. Basically, a guy who can't stand up. He can't stand up, he's then put down. That's what Shaykh says. He goes, He goes, a person like this, he can't stand up by himself normally. Right? Uh, so he goes, it's, 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 it's obligatory upon them to, to uh, attend the masjid. And if you can stand, then stand. And if you can't stand, then Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. I have to say that's a good position. Even though you know that my personal uh, uh, opinion is that I, I, I you know, I have severe doubts that I believe that to, to attend the obligatory prayer is obligatory, obligatory, but as a working position and as a class position, you know, we spoke about that, that kind of lean towards that. Hey, walaikum islam All right, let's do some questions and then we close it up. Uh, Dina says, is it a bid'ah to fast tomorrow for Gaza? We are getting posts encouraging us to do so, but I think we should fast with the intention of it being Thursday and then we can make dua for them. Absolutely, that's exactly what you should do. Complete bid'ah to do this nonsense. You know, this this is this hippie crap, yani, liberal rubbish. Yeah, this is what happens in in these scenarios. People lose their mind. You know that we'll do this for Gaza, we'll do that for Gaza. There's no fasting for Gaza. What is that? Uh, like, what is that even? So, please, yani, let's not forget our deen and our principles. So this is an excellent question. Um, Dean says that. You mentioned last week that we should do gesturing whilst laying on our sides. Just want to see if I understood it properly. Do we keep our bodies straight and bend our heads towards our chest? Yes. So chin to chest, exactly. Or do we bend our torso so we kind of like in a crescent shape or near an L shape? Actually, that's not so different, right? Whether you are doing that or whether you're doing that. The point is, is that you're making your body more kind of crunched, more lower uh, as such. Okay. Um, I think that's only the, the only questions on on the thing. Any questions here? Yeah. Um, I think so. I think so. I think that that concession um, cars no, because a car is your car, right? Um, we're talking about modes of transport where you don't basically have the ability to kind of pause it and it's long and it's not, there's no space to do it, etc., etc., etc. Huh? Yeah, bus or coach, yeah. Bus, coach, train, 
all these apply uh, to that. But to the car, no. For the car, it's got to be some mental extreme situation, right? Like it's got to be like a flood outside or it's got to be a physical danger outside or whatever because, you know... Um, Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're stuck in a, uh, uh, you mean like an accident, you mean? Yeah, and, and you can't move over to the hard shoulder? Yeah, you can't, Why not? Yeah. I don't know about that. That's the problem, yeah. It does. What can you say? <laughs> I can't even open my mouth around that. That's the problem. No, no, women can't pray in a car, not at all. Uh, uh, this is not to do with women or men. This is to do with an emergency situation. If there's an emergency situation, of course, you pray in a car because you have to exhaust every other possibility. But the fact that I'm just a woman or it's just raining or whatever uh, is not acceptable. You just have to, you know, if it's very, you know, could it be justified in a situation where, for example, you're wearing very expensive clothes and you don't have any, you know, something which is solid that will protect you? Possibly. Possibly, but you're, you're taking a risk with that concession. But do I think that the prayer is invalid? No, I don't think so. I think that that's okay. Uh, when praying on a plane, do you have to pray facing the Qibla? You should try, and, or at the very least, you should stand and face towards the Qibla whilst the prayer starts, and then you can carry on to do that. Uh, Zara asks, is he allowed to attend protests? Yeah, I think so, but you've got to be careful about what happens at these protests. They're not necessarily Islamic in their thing, and people get a bit carried away, and some of the, you know, the kind of like the camaraderie is just a bit questionable as well. But in of itself, it's allowed. Uh, yeah. Someone with sinusitis would use this, absolutely. Yes, 100%. That's exactly the kind of pressure. Anyone who's had that badly will know that once you go down there, it's a real, it's a real thingy. Um, yeah. At the services where there isn't a prayer room and you can't pray out in a car park because it's raining or just packed, if praying the car, can you pray in any direction or should you park the car facing the Qibla? Well, there's no doubt that if you are in one of those emergency situations that you should park the car facing the Qibla. Uh, this is for obligatory prayers, but really a little bit of rain and so on, I find it very uneasy in my heart to be able to justify a person just to pray in that sense. But like I said, if it is quite a bit of rain or something like that, then yeah, I'm here. Yeah. No. The majority opinion is that it's a highly emphasized sunnah and the minority but very well defended and very strong evidence position is that it is obligatory. Yeah, but it's the minority position. The three imams consider it to be highly emphasized with a little bit of difference. Some of them also said obligatory, but when you say the majority, then the majority consider it to be highly emphasized. Oh, for the ain. They consider it to be for the ain. Yeah, those that went down that, that opinion. Yeah, okay. So just to clarify, is the preference to pray on the plane as opposed to not using No, the preference is always to use minimum concessions. And so if you look at the concessions you're using, combining the prayer is a minor concession. Minor. And you're able to pray the full prayer. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's definitely pre preferable than to praying on a plane. Obligatory prayer we're talking about. Okay. Uh, yeah, yes, Anna. So then, if you, if you were sitting on a plane and you prayed one prayer sitting... You're, pr you're, pr you're sitting on a what? If you're sitting on a plane... Yeah. And you prayed one prayer sitting... Yeah. 
Right. Theoretically, yes. A person who is on a plane with lots of time and uh, 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 should they combine on the plane if they're, if they're committed to praying on the plane or should they pray them on their time? Well, first of all, I'm saying that you should pray when you get to your destination as long as there is time. But if we assume that there is no time and that the time would have expired, then theoretically, you should pray them on time. Practically, it is very difficult. With Dhuhr and Asr, basically it's impossible. I want to say that anybody, I mean, I keep hearing about this halal flight or whatever it's called. What's it called? Danish goes on about it. You had a life flight, halal flight, something. You know the one that tells you the prayer time? It's an app that basically yeah, you, you, you put your flight in, yeah? And you keep your, your watch to the time that you were on when you jumped into the plane. And the app will tell you now it's Dhuhr time, now it's Asr time, now it's whatever, based upon where you are, based upon it charting the flight and the time zones, and it will tell you according to your clock. That's how Danish explained it or something. That's how someone explained it. Anyway, like I said, I don't trust What's any... The flight delay? What's the what? What's the flight delay? If the flight is... De yeah, that's not going to work, then, is it? <laughs> that's a good point, yeah. Huh? Does it have live updates? No, I don't think so. I think it's, a, it's an algorithm. Yeah. Aeroplane <laughs> mode. But it's got a good point. It's got a good point. But I was going to say, anyway, all these apps or whatever, I'd never, ever rely on. Never. And so I wouldn't be uh, taking that risk on the Dhuhr Asr thing. The Maghrib Isha, you can see. And I would do that. Yeah, I wouldn't like to combine and uh, whatever. But yeah, I think the reasons for combining are more than just one or when you're, when you're on the plane. The number one is the main, is the issue of the uncertainty of exactly which one is entering and what's exiting. Second, that even if you are sure, because of the speed that the plane is going, especially when going east, it can, you can uh, exit the time very quickly. And the third is that normally praying on a plane, normally is involving some kind of inconvenience to someone. Either the potential of someone wanting to get up, or someone wanting to give some food over you, or speak to you, or whatever, which is neither here nor there, but to get it over and done with in one go, as opposed to have two separate kind of times, I think, you know, might also be a consideration. I don't think, I think it was that, Shaz? Fajr is a disaster, man. Everyone should just try and make sure they never ever flying during Fajr. Yeah. And what 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 advice would I give? What? What really would you give in terms of completing entries and then a follow-up question is money that you get because you get a lot yeah. of money for completing it. Yeah. Charity in general or a specific time? So um, pay, they, they need to, you know, if someone's being cremated, you need to sign off on that. And only doctor can, and the doctor who's on call or whatever. Um, I think that you should try to fob it off to somebody else. And uh, some people are very good at that, and some people are not. And if you are unable because you're the only one, etc., etc., then I believe it's okay to sign it because it's going to be signed anyway, it's going to happen anyway. And I believe 
that the earning of it, of course, has to be given away. It's impermissible to keep that. And I also believe that some portion of sadaqah needs to be given, which actually is for all professions. All professions, everything, even the most safest, whether it's medicine or an engineer or a mechanic or an optician or a pharmacist, whatever the job is in this country or in the West, there's something that you will do which is haram. But it's not the fundamental part of your job, but it happens. And the Prophet ﷺ said, فَشُبُوهُ sadaqa." So basically, get rid of it through by giving sadaqah. So 1%, 2%, 0.X%, whatever, should be given to basically make up for the fact that although you didn't take the money, that's fine, but you are still enjoying a status of professional which has a responsibility to do that. So yeah, and something should be given to cover it and the money should be given out. And no, it doesn't need to be gone. I don't believe that it is haram money that can't be utilized by Muslim charity. It can be, or it can go to non-Muslims. It can go to anything. But it cannot be kept. It cannot be kept. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. And uh, I think anything else here? Yep. You've seen one scholar that said what to the head? Congestion, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter by his name, go on, just, just... Oh, you can gesture, not congestion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, I'm all over the place. You can gesture with your head. When you're sitting down and you're saying that this is ruku and then this... Yeah. When you're sitting down and you have the ability to make sajda or not? Anyway, anyway, if you are sitting down for whatever reason and you have the ability, physical ability to make sajda, you have to make sajda. There's no gesturing. If you are sitting down and you do not have the ability to make sajda because either illness or because there's no space, then you gesture by lowering your body. And this lowering of the body is a matter of difference of opinion of how. What we said last week and the week before is that what's unacceptable is to do it with the finger. But what should be done is part of the body. Now, could it be argued what you're saying, which is that if a person's sitting down, they can't make sajda, and that this is ruqua and this is sajda? It could be argued, but clearly it's not as good as this being ruqua and this being sajda. And the asal is to get closer to the floor, not to use the head like a finger. So if you're like this, and you're doing this and doing that, that's the same as doing this and doing that. So my respects to the Sheikh, that it seems that the body, certainly Sheikh Uthameen made it clear that's his position, the body itself has got to move. If a woman can't find a prayer space, is it permissible to pray in a public space but away from a prayer? Yes, absolutely permissible. Not permissible, it's obligated. And should you have a specific intention for the sadaqah? I don't think that you can because this is not halal money. Halal trip, that thing is called, by the way. Halal trip. It is, it is uh, something. Halal trip. Um, and the final question, any other questions? Yeah. Uh, 
Yes, it's definitely the, the, the question is what, what, what constitutes uh, unable to do uh, sajda? Entirely subjective. A person has to just know that Allah will question him, and we, we trust that person's judgment, and that person knows. And if it's uh, something which a doc, we're coming to this next week about a doctor and what he's telling you, but um, also we've widened it up a little bit to include maybe some extreme fear that completely paralyzes a person. Or some, you know, whatever anxious uh, anxiety that's messing up a person's head is also some possibility. As long as they feel that they just cannot do it and they're being racked by that thought, then that's something which is uh, uh, acceptable. And when praying on the floor, yeah, we said right side, Mahjabin, we mentioned that last week. We think that's okay. And the final uh, statement, the final question in the case of sinus, you have gone into full sajda and then you are sort of dying. Then, you can, then can you raise your head a bit to relieve it? That's, that's happened, I'm not going to lie. That's one of the quickest sajdas I did. Yes, you can. Okay? If we're allowing a person to not have to go down because of the thingy, then of course if you go down, then come up is even less of a problem, surely. Right? So that's something which is allowed. Wallah, oh, sorry, uh, Shumayla, yeah. Yes. Unless you need to. Unless you need to. The yeah, your calves are right against the thing, yeah. Uh, uh, no, uh, uh, that's okay because there's no other space, right? The, the whole standing thing with the calves being kind of, you know, trapped as such because you're so close to the seat is just the nature of the actual uh, position. The point is, is that unnecessarily holding on to things. But if you have to, then you have to. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. We'll see you next week, inshallah, same time. Jazakumullah khair, subhanakallahumma bihamdika, shadu wa la ilaha illa ant. واستغفرك اللهم وأتوب إليك والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته